Well, welcome to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Uh, Bubba, look at us. Hey, look at us. We're podcasting. Uh, <laughs> We we I, what are we at now? I don't know. We're we're we're, well, we're approaching sixty uh, podcasts. It's got to be more than that. You think? I it's don't know. It's got to be more lot. than that. It's a lot of them. We'll get Adler to count them up. Yeah, he'll count them up. But anyway, welcome to this edition of, of Rick and Bub University, the podcast. Uh, and it uh, just like the radio show is a, is a show about anything. Our podcast are are the, the difference is we take one forty five minute uh, journey and we kind of concentrate with one guest or we concentrate on one topic. Uh, during the podcast makes it a little bit different than the show. And today uh, we're excited uh, to have Gene Chizik uh, with us on Rick and Bub University, the podcast. Uh, Coach, welcome welcome to Rick and Bub University. I feel honored, guys. This is an honor to be with you guys, especially for 45 minutes. Usually, guys, you get me for about 10 minutes and you, you kick me off. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, it, you know, well look, let, let's not uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. We'll see how this goes. Yeah, you, yeah, this could be cut short. <laughs> you may, you may, you may yeah. be back to I've that. I've been kicked off before, trust yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Coach, we're looking forward to learning something today. You, you've accumulated a lot of hardware over the years because you've, you've done a great job coaching and you've won a lot of – a lot of championships and excelled, and, and we want you to share some of that with us today. Well, I, I appreciate that, guys, and, and I have been. I've, I've been blessed to be around a lot of, uh, a lot of great coaches, uh, a lot of great mentors, uh, and really, I mean, just so many great players, great kids. I mean, Rick's son played for me, and, you know, he's one of thousands that I've had that I look back over my career and just shake my head and go, wow, that was just an amazing journey to be with these young guys. And the lion's share of those guys stay and, and keep up with me today. So that's really cool. I mean, going back to 30 years ago, I still get calls and emails from guys. And uh, that's that's the great thing about being a former coach uh, is the relationships that you, that you build along the way. And I've just been blessed to be around great people. And that's the bottom line. Hardware and all the championships aside, you know, you can melt those things down and turn, turn them into spoons. Um, you know, what, what you get when it's, when it's all said and done is relationships. And that's what I feel very blessed about. So let's talk a little bit about this Tampa Bay hat we see that you have on for those. Yeah, start with that worker way back. Yeah, those that are watching uh, on the YouTube option, uh, they can see the Tampa Bay hat. Is this your way of letting the world know that you are not some fair-weathered fan of the Buccaneers? Okay, let me just make this very clear, guys, okay? In full transparency, I was wearing this hat when they were, wearing, when they were winning three games a year, okay? <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you why. I was born and raised in Clearwater, which is right next to Tampa, right? And I was at the very first ever Buccaneers football practice and game. So I am a huge Buccaneer fan Way before the Bucks were cool. Let me just say that right off the bat. Uh, so, Coach, how did you feel about the Dreamsicle uniforms? Because we oh, yeah. refer to those. I like those. I know they get made fun of now, but I like those colors back then. I know they didn't win a lot They in didn't them, win a lot But them. I thought they had a really cool-looking uniform. So, are you talking about the one with that big, huge bucket? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had the knife in his mouth. Yeah, yeah. And, and the uniform. And the orange. And the know, jersey that? was an orange, like a Dreamsicle popsicle yeah. thing you eat. It was, but let me tell you what their best combination was. The orange pants with the white shirts and the big fat buccaneer on the oh, side. Oh, yeah, that, that, that was good. I liked them in all white. Yeah. I think that was my that favorite. All white was good. All yeah. right, so. And so, the fact that it, it, the, uh, the coach, it was McKay, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. And Don he, McKay? Yeah, and he was so funny because they, they lost a lot of games to start with. So he, 
he was kind of a humorous guy anyway, but he'd always have some pretty good one-liners after the game. Well, you said, Coach, uh, if you've coached any amount of time, you've had moments that you're so glad you're a coach, and then there's those games, and he was the best at coming. You remember the great line? I don't know if I have it right, where he says, well, today he said uh, we could not throw the ball. He said we could not run the ball. We were horrible on defense. Our kicking game was atrocious, but we made up for it by not blocking and tackling either. <laughs> well, that, that was a classic. And here was another classic. So after a game, they were terrible on offense, and a media member says, Coach, what do you think about your offense's execution? He said, I think it'd be a great idea. <laughs> That's right. I remember that one. So, so jumping into the Buccaneers – uh, and I know that your background is is college, but I mean football is football to a degree. Tom Brady, this this what I mean, a story. Well, I mean this story, uh, and you know I, I'm always trying to talk to my wife because I do believe I don't know if your family's gotten this point and Bubba's watched it. I think I got to the point that our family had seen like as many football games as a family could see. And it's almost like we couldn't muster ourselves to go to any more. <laughs> I mean, we, you know, because you got to understand with a dad who coached for 30 something years, three sons that played football, uh, uh, I've got a nephew that's a football coach now. I have been to so many games, it's as if I can't go to any more. And, uh, but anyway, so I was trying to sell her on the Super Bowl. I said, look, there's some, she likes the, the background storylines. I don't know if John is like that or not, but, but he, uh, and, she, and I said, we got the old 43 year old guy that's representing folks like us. And I said, then there's the up-and-coming young guy who wants to be this guy that he's playing against one day. So it is a, a nice, a nice uh, matchup. But what do you think makes Tom Brady possibly the greatest to ever play in the NFL at that position? Well, look, um, I, I've been around some guys that have been around him on a daily basis. Uh, actually, one of my former players is the outside linebacker coach for the Buccaneers. And one of the, you know, one of the kind of storylines with Tom that I always hear consistently, and I don't know him, uh, is that his work ethic on and off the field to continue to strive to be the best there is, is amazing. The way he studies the game, the, the time he puts in. People don't realize off the field, like this guy doesn't drink alcohol. He doesn't drink carbonated drinks. Like, he does everything to make sure that his body at 40 plus years old is, you know, in the best shape that it can be to withstand the punishment of these seasons. Right. But it's the commitment that he's made to being great. And it's amazing to me. I mean, he comes in and picks up a brand new offense, uh, you know, Hey, and he, let's be honest. He, he did a, he had the great foresight to realize that they've got young players there that would be really good. You know, Bruce Arians is one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. And he felt like the chemistry of what was there could be really, really good. Uh, and it's been amazing. But I think it's the commitment uh, that he has to the game. He absolutely loves the game of football. He does not want to give it up. He does not want to not play uh, because he still feels like he can produce at a high level, which, ta-da, uh, <laughs> he's proven to be right no matter who his coach is. So win or lose Sunday – this still was an accomplishment this season. I, I think most people said if he could, I, I think it, it, Rick, if he, absolutely. If he could have got him to the playoffs, everybody said he proved that the Patriot way is important, but Tom Brady as a player makes any team better, not just the Patriots. So has he already done what he needed to do, win or lose this game Sunday, to 
to, to beyond the shadow of a doubt. Yeah. No, it's not even in question. He has solidified himself as the greatest of all time before this year, in my opinion, but certainly now you're coming to a team that literally in the past, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 years, I can't even go back that far, has really been a debacle. I mean, let's be honest, right? And it doesn't matter who the coach has been. It doesn't matter. You've had former Super Bowl coaches in there coaching. Lovey Smith, you know, took the Bears to the Super Bowl, went to Tampa Bay. That was a huge failure. It didn't matter who they brought in there. There just there, – there wasn't any production. And then all of a sudden now Tom Brady comes and they're in the Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? I mean, that says it all to me. <laughs> yeah, it does. Coach, let me ask you this. We're talking about uh, quarterbacks, and because we had had a discussion about the Patriot way versus Tom Brady, and a guy that you know a lot about, Cam Newton, went to the Patriots this year. They didn't have a real successful year. So now we're all thinking maybe it wasn't the system. It was more Brady than the system. But talk to us a little bit about Cam, uh, where he's at, and and uh, he's not playing at his highest level. He's played in the pros. Do you think he's got a few more years left, or, or what's your assessment of his play right now yeah that, that's a good uh, good question Bubba I, I I mean you know I'm not in those meetings I don't I haven't seen him play a lot this year uh you know everything to me when you're getting to be that age as a quarterback in the NFL is circumstantial and, and I'm what I mean by that is that you know are, are you in the right system do you have the right pieces around you I mean you can be fantastic and not have the right pieces around you you know, at the wide receiver spot, at the off, you know, it's some it's some key positions in the offensive line that aren't going to allow you to play at a high level. That's just the bottom line. You know, it's it's not necessarily the scheme uh, because I think their schemes they do. I mean, Bill Belichick does the greatest job of adapting a scheme to whatever the personnel is that they have. Right? Meaning, you know, when they had great tight ends, the offense looked different. When they had great Slot receivers or offense look different when they needed to have a running quarterback. You know, they designed some things to, to be able to take care of, you know, to, you know, accent athletic ability. So, you know, but I haven't seen them just in depth, but it didn't look to me like Cam had a lot of great pieces around him to allow him to be successful combined with the fact that he probably didn't play great all the time. So, you know, I think it's going to be a matter. He's at the tail end of this journey. Uh, I think it's going to matter that he gets to the right team, that he's got the right people around him. Uh, and the scheme fits exactly what, you know, suits him. I think it's all circumstantial. Coach, let, let me ask you about you coaching. Of course, you had a great career, and you're one of the very few coaches who can say, I won a national championship in Division One." I. I mean, that is that is quite an accomplishment. But you know you you had a you had a good bowl record too as a head coach. I know you were like three and zero, and there's been a lot of successful coaches that didn't necessarily have good bowl records. Far as a college coach, what did you do different, or how did you approach bowl games? I, I was curious what your take was on postseason play for college. Well, it's it's changed a lot recently. You see all these opt outs and things of that nature, which we didn't have back then. Uh, I, I think that. You know, the way we approach bowl games is that it was supposed to be a reward. Um, and your number one goal is to win that game so that you have momentum going into the offseason. That's the number one goal because right. you can mask uh, some disappointments in the season uh, by winning your bowl game and going into the offseason with a lot of momentum, right? So when we approached every bowl game, national championship was even in this category to a degree 
you know, I wanted the kids to have fun. I didn't want it to be like a beat down spring practice. And a lot of coaches took it as, you know what, this is a chance for me to, you know, just beat these guys up for another two weeks. I get another spring practice. And yeah, that's true that you, you can do that. There's unlimited time. There's some unlimited days you can practice, but you know, uh, I'll give you an example. When we were getting ready to play in the national championship game, we had almost, I think we had 38 days before the SEC championship game and the national championship. And I told our guys, I said, let me tell you what, we have so much time in here uh, that, you know, I want to make sure that we're doing exactly enough, not too much and not too little to be ready to go on, on game day. And so I, I made a bar. I made a deal with the players. I told them, look, we'll never be on the field more than an hour and a half. Never. Not one practice. Provided you're doing everything we're asking you to do. I'm talking about this is an hour and a half of snorting, getting after it. I mean, get down and dirty hour, hour and a half from the time you walk onto the field to the time you walk off. And, you know, I, I wanted them to understand that you know, that was our, that was our time. Now we were going to put in more time in the film room and things of that nature, but I didn't feel like with 38 days, I needed to have two and a half hour practices every day. I think you're, the kids are, oh, you're overdoing that. Yeah. And I, I think that worked for us. So, you know, it's about having fun and having a good strategy going into those games. Gene Chizik's our guest. Uh, we'll be right back when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. All right, so Bubba, we know we've been talking about on the show the big tech companies, and we're you and I've been talking about it on the big show. Yeah, take they're, they're, they have too much power that you can't hold them accountable. And many people have asked, how do these companies make all this money and get all this power when it doesn't cost anything to use their platform? Well, I'll tell you how they are following you and they're taking your data and they're selling it to people, and that's where all these ads are coming from. So what you could do is go to expressvpn.com/slash Rick Bubba. And you can stop their ability to know what you're doing because the bottom line is they are following your IP address. So um, we we want it protected with ExpressVPN. And so what they do uh, is they will now take all of your Internet service if you use this VPN, and now you're anonymous again. Uh, Your IP address is hidden, uh, and you're rerouted. And, of course, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your data and it protects you from any eavesdroppers on your network. Uh, and ExpressVPN app couldn't be easier. Even I can use it. Uh, it's just one button on your phone or your computer, and now you are protected. Uh, so it's finally time to say no to the censorship and take back your online privacy with the VPN that we trust, expressvpn.com slash Bubba, uh, and we're going to get you an extra three months free with a one-year contract. That's expressvpn.com slash Rick Bubba to protect your data today. Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Our guest is Gene Chizik. Uh, he won the national championship with Texas as a defensive coordinator. Won the national championship with Auburn as a head coach. Uh, now as a football analyst with ESPN and the SEC Network. And I, I do want to before we move off Cam Newton, because there's some funny stories. One that you're not aware of, and then one that I wasn't aware of until I heard you talk about it at a event that you and I were together on. Um, uh, last Sunday, and I'll tell you the one you don't know. So when when Cam Newton came to Auburn and my son was playing for you, we had an FCA banquet like the first spring that Cam Newton was at Auburn. So, you know, my son has uh, little brothers, and they all came to the banquet, 
and you remember they put the footballs, you know, on the table and, and all of this. Mm-hmm. It was in Birmingham. You you spoke it that night. Right. So my uh, my oldest son, Blake, who played for you, he goes over, and I'm talking to him, and like an idiot, I say the following thing. I said, man, you guys got to find a quarterback. And he says, he says, Dad, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, well, I went to A-Day. I said, I didn't really see anybody really stand out. I said, it uh, looks like y'all got to get solidified on the quarterback. And he looks at me like I'd lost my mind. And he says, oh, Dad, we have a quarterback. And he takes his little brothers, and he points over to Cam, who no one is anywhere near. No one's over there talking to him because he has not become this icon yet. And Blake says to his little brothers, everybody get a football, go over to that really large uh, athletic man standing over there. His name is Cam Newton, and have him sign your footballs, and you're going to thank me for that. So they run over. Nobody's around him. Okay, and he signs the footballs for them. And the night that he won the Heisman Trophy, they're sitting there with those footballs, holding them up in the air, saying, "Our brother took care of us." And uh, and so, uh, but but a lot of people don't. There's all kinds of legendary stories of the recruiting of Cam Newton, and you 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 told it exactly how it was the other night. Share that story with those that don't know it, and it, it's a, it's kind of a joke even on you. Yeah, it was uh, it was really interesting because you know we we weren't initially setting out to recruit Cam. Uh, we were actually setting out to recruit a wideout at Blinn Junior College, and uh, so when when I we had an off week, and so when I sent the coaches out there, um, they came back Sunday. We had a staff meeting. We we're going around the table, and I'm asking where everybody went and who they saw and what their thoughts were. So, you know, I, I get to the guy that was out there at Blinn and I said, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about the receiver? He said, well, you know, the receiver is probably a no go, but there's this quarterback we really need to look at. And I said, well, you know, I really don't want a junior college quarterback. We need to get a four-year guy here. And he said, no, I think this one might be one <laughs> worth looking at. And I was like, yeah, but I, you know, I don't think so. So we went around the table and it was kind of a done deal. You know, next thing I know it's, Knock on the door. Here comes Gus. Hey, coach, you know, this guy's pretty special now. We, we probably need to look at him. So anyway, fast forward, they, they, they wear me out about him for a while. And uh, now it's, it's right around Christmas time, and he's getting ready to come home from Blinn. They just won the Junior College National Championship, and he's coming through. And uh, they said, hey, look, we just need to bring him on an official visit. And I said, okay, that's fine. We can bring him on an official visit. I'm great with that. I've never met him. Let's just be clear that we have not offered this guy a scholarship. And I wanted to make sure that everybody knew that because I didn't want him to come, think he's on scholarship. That's just a bad deal. And then they leave and then you didn't offer him or they try to commit and you didn't offer him. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden that junior college guy's mad and their parents are mad and the high school guy's mad. So I just want to make sure that everyone was clear on the communication. And uh, so I said, just make sure, make sure you understand the man has no scholarship, okay? Now, at the end of the weekend, if I like him and everything and everything checks out, you know, there's a possibility because we really watched his junior college film. He was really, you know, he was, you know, dynamic as, as we saw. Um, but I still didn't know the mark of the man. And uh, so I'm in my office when he comes on, on Friday, knock at my door. So I'm sitting down like I am now. And he comes up to me and, and, I, and I, I look up. <laughs> God, man, this guy's he looks big. Let me stand up, you know? So I stand up and I'm still looking up at him and I look at these shoulders about this wide and this V and this big old butt and legs and calves. And I mean, smile. 
I just stood up and said, Cam, man, it's nice to meet you. You know, you, you've been our number one guy since day one. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't pass it up. I, I, couldn't, just, I, couldn't, I couldn't not do it, Rick. I, just, I, I know. Well, let's talk a little bit about being a coach. Now, I, you, you won't remember this conversation, but it's still truth because you've, been, you've had so many over the years. But one thing that watching my dad being a coach and, and realizing it even now, you know, all these many years later, all these men who still hold him in this place that I'm going to talk to you about. So, and I think coaches need to understand that, and, and we'll delve into to that even more seriously here in a moment. But for a lot of people, and, and I said this to you because I knew it watching my dad when we were talking about Blake playing for you. And I said, here's the deal. You guys – do whatever you got to do football wise. Okay. That's your job. But what I want, what I want to find out is who you are as a man, because you're about to become the second most influential man in my son's life. Now, if he doesn't have a father, you're going to be number one. But even those, those, those sons who have a father, you're going to be number two. And, and with the ones that don't have a father, you're number one. And, 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 and have you, I don't think coaches sometimes understand that. And, and because you're taking the place of the father figure in, in a young man's life if he doesn't have one, but even those that do, you're, you're, you're highly influential on what kind of man they're going to become, and they're looking to you because a lot of times you're the only example or you're the, the second most influential example. Talk about uh, how you've seen that play out in, in your life with players that you've had. Well, you know, Rick, you say that, you know, a lot of them don't understand that. I hope they do. And you're right. There's definitely guys out there that are in that position that the only thing they care about is, is winning and losing. And I'm going to be honest with you. When I first got into coaching, I wanted it all. I mean, I wanted the rings, the watches, the championships. Uh, I wanted to be on TV. I wanted, I wanted all of that stuff when I was a young guy because I didn't really understand the enormity of, of what you're saying. I didn't really understand when I first started, uh, you know, the importance and the influence that I would have on these young guys for a lifetime. I did not understand that. And, um, you know, one of the things that really got my attention was one time we were having this, this deal that, that where we all kind of went around and we we're telling our stories with a player and this young man that we had recruited was really quiet. And, and, and we looked at him as kind of a weird guy. He was kind of weird. And, but they come from all kinds of backgrounds, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's just a different dude. And um, we couldn't really figure him out. Well, and he never said anything. He was very quiet. And, and one day he decides that as we go around and we kind of tell our story, it was really neat that all the players, once they started talking, they really gave you some incredible information. And you thought you knew him when you recruited him, but you found that you really didn't know near as much as is what they were telling. And he tells the story of, you know, he was 13 years old and his mom uh, was uh, dating a man who was an alcoholic and he would come home every night and he would beat his mom mm. and he would pass out on the couch. And he watched him do this for a couple of years. And finally he couldn't take it at 13 anymore. He picked up a shotgun. The guy passed out, just kind of beat his mom up again and passed out on the couch. And he took that gun and he put it in that kid's, I put it in that guy's face and he was ready to pull the trigger. And about that time, his mom came out of nowhere and pulled that gun away. And he told that story. Mm. She said, I'll, I'll never trade your life for his, never. Because she knew that, you know, that, that, that would be the end of everything for her boy. Yeah. And um, I, I was sitting there like, 
you know, you have some wow moments. Yeah. I was like, this stuff's real. Like, you know, and that really, really hit me from a spiritual standpoint too, guys. Like, man, you know, my influence, I mean, there is brokenness and there is, there, there is just things going on that are so um, sad in, in these guys' lives that we know nothing about. And it really made me look at this player differently from then on. And then I started thinking, how many of these players haven't told that story? Right. That something similar has happened. They need us. Like, this is not something that if you kind of feel like it, show up in their life. Um, and that happened when I was young. And uh, that had a huge impact on me, understanding the role that we need to have in these dudes' lives. Because like you were saying, Rick, Many of them, we were the number one male. That's right. They didn't know what manhood looked like. They had no idea. And I didn't take that lightly. And um, as I started to grow in my spiritual walk and my faith, combined with things like that that happened along the way, by the time I got to be a defensive coordinator and a head coach, I realized that was my job. It was my job beyond rings and championships and money and being on TV and all those things that, you know, a lot of guys would love to have young coming up through the, through the profession and the ranks. They would see that they love it. It's the big deal. Um, that became a distant second for me when I started to realize what my place really was. And I tried to coach the rest of my career like that. Gene Chizik's our guest. We'll come back and continue our conversation on Rick and Bubba university, the podcast. So, Bubba, um, Valentine's Day is upon us, uh, and I know there's guys right now. I, I, we, Bubba and I have been trying to tell you, so you need to go ahead and make a move and get this done, but you haven't. Nope, you're going to put it off. You're, you're putting it, but right now. We know you. We know you. 1-800-Flowers.com. Been you. <laughs> go there and get you right. Get 24 <laughs> multicolored roses for only $34.99. You can also upgrade to 24 red roses for $10 more. Now, this is an unbelievable offer from 1-800-Flowers. 24 multicolored roses, $34.99, or upgrade to 24 for only $10 more. And, of course, our wives have already gotten those. Bubba and I didn't wait. We sent them out there so we could do this commercial and tell you how great they are, and our wives love them. So uh, they're going to sell fast. Don't put this off. Uh, order 24 multicolored roses for $34.99 or upgrade to 24 red roses for only $10 more by going to 1-800-Flowers.com. Click that radio icon and enter the code Rick Bubba. That's 1-800-Flowers.com. The code is Rick Bubba. Hurry, this offer will expire on Wednesday. Gene Chizik is our guest uh, on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. So we were just talking about the influence uh, of coaches. And, Bubba, you have to bring this up, and I'd love to get your feedback, Coach, on this, and we'll get some other stuff. So in college football, Nick Saban. Um, what What is it that Nick Saban is doing? It seems to be that coaching staff – Changes can happen. Players come and go. Uh, but he seems to have some sort of – I know he calls it a process that he has put together that keeps that program for a long period of time in the hunt for the national championship year after year after year. There is no rebuilding year, Rick, what, that what, everybody else seems to go through at some point. Is it uniquely Nick Saban? Because I'm, I know coaches. I know how these clinics work and all that. It's not like you can't figure out what he's doing. What makes him so successful at the college level? 
Well, I think number one, uh, he never lets complacency set in in his organization. And you guys know complacency kills, right? When yeah. you're sitting there at the top and you feel good and the players start becoming a little bit entitled, like, you know, they, they roll the ball out, we're going to win because we're Alabama. I don't think he ever lets that set in with his players or his coaches. I think he does a great job of understanding that every team is different. Um, and, you know, he's going to keep the nuts and bolts of the foundation the same. But every team is different, different things make them tick. Um, he, he's got the formula. I mean, he knows exactly uh, what players fit, what they want to do, offense, defense, special teams. Um, he's got the formula figured out. He works and they work their rear ends off recruiting. And now it's the chicken or the egg. Are you going there because Alabama is great in football? You know, or, you know, like, so now it's, you know, guys just want to go there because they know they're going to have a chance to go to the, you know, to the, to the league, which everybody wants to do. And they're going to have a chance to win championships. So, and now that he's kind of got that thing going on a perpetual year in and year out cycle, guys want to join that. Right. So they've got the recruiting uh, exactly where they want it. Uh, they've got the, they've got, they know exactly um, once they get there, how they're developing these guys to fit into what they do. You can recruit great players in four years and three years later, guys, they're not great. I mean, and think about the recruiting mm. and the drafting and the development of these guys once they've, they've gotten there. You know, 40-something, you know, I don't, I don't know the exact number of draft picks, first-rounders, but, I mean, every year you're looking at four or five. I mean, he's been there yeah. 12, 13, he's had 40 something first rounders. So he develops them. He knows what fits the program, but more than anything, this process that he's talking about is real. Uh, and he never lets complacency set in. And let me tell you something, he's established exactly what he wants to do on offense, defense, and special teams. So that when he has coaching changes, there's no, Hey, this is Johnny, John, this is Johnny, the offensive coordinators offense. No, right. This is Alabama's offense. And if you're a coordinator coming in, you're going to live by the nuts and bolts of that. Now, we'll tweak it a little bit based on what you want to do, but this is, this is what we do. This is not what you do. And he does a good job of plugging guys in that way on offense, defense, and special teams. So you're not continuously starting over on all those sides of the ball. He doesn't do that. And, again, he's got great foresight. And, and Coach, it looks to me like he's also – grown with the game uh you know i think early on we we might say he liked to run between the tackles a lot we saw that but you know i know initially he was against the hurry up no huddle offense tried to get it outlawed at one point and when it didn't he adapted it he started using it and now they throw the ball all over the field too it just seems like he has grown with the game he wasn't just set even though he had a process the process has adapted to the rules, the players, and the skills that are out there. Yeah, Bubba, that's a great point because to me, when I say he realizes every year that his teams are different, that means that their skill sets may be different, right? He can win a, a national championship with Jacob Coker, right? Right. He can also win one with, you know, Tua and Mac Jones and, and whoever else. So I think he does the best job out there of adapting and adjusting to the people and their skill set and where maybe a few years ago uh, he was unbending in some things. 
I think especially when Lane Kiffin came along and kind of incorporated some of the things with Blake Sims, more athletic guy, right. um, Jalen Hurts. And he started realizing that, you know what, we're not going to be able to change the rules. Some of this up-tempo, some of this spread stuff, some of this RPO stuff is really good because it gives us problems on defense. And then he started to adapt and adjust to things of that nature. So I think he does the best of listening, understanding how that can be adapted to what he already has uh, at Alabama and tweak it so that that becomes a part uh, of what he does. And every year the offense may look different, but the nuts and bolts of what they do, running the ball and things of that nature, those aren't really going to change. Coach, you being a head coach, uh, is is that normal or do different coaches do it different ways? Do some people bring in an OC and say, hey, it's your baby? Or do you, do you, do you, do you keep them inside parameters you set or, or does it just vary coach to coach? Well, I think it varies, but I think most people don't do that. And I, I will say this, if you're an offensive coach and you have your way on offense, then when you bring in a defensive coach, you, a lot of times they will say, Hey, this is your defense, right? Right. If I did it over again, um, you know, when I look back and I reevaluate how, how and what I would have done differently, what I would have done is exactly what Nick's done because it's the Bill Belichick way. Bill Belichick is not changing what he does with the foundation of who they are in New England. Now, they're going to adapt and adjust versus based on the players that they right. have. But I would do it where if I'm a defensive guy, so I'm going to, I'm going to put in my defense. If, I, if I'm a head coach tomorrow, we're running my defense. I'm going to be completely involved in the defense. And I'll bring in a coordinator that's going to run our defense. I'll teach him how to do it, young, smart guy. And I'm going to surround him with young guys that could come up through the ranks right now in case I lose somebody to step in and do it. I would do the same thing offensively, which I did not do. So when Gus left, the offense changed. I would never do that again. I would keep young guys involved. And if that was the offensive philosophy that I liked, mm -hmm. I would make sure with the coaching change – we weren't making wholehearted changes because we were recruited to that. They understand that. There's less of a learning curve when a new guy comes in. And I think that's what's really helped Nick. And to be quite, quite frank, I don't think uh, most coaches do that. Well, uh, you, you, you were transparent enough to say, look, I see what, what happened. And if I could go back, I, I, would, I would change. So maybe others will look and see that. And he, he'll probably, I mean, he'd have to be with this kind of uh, success be one of those that kind of changes the landscape of, of, of that philosophy that you just talked about. Because, yeah, I remember that even when, when Malzahn left because that's when you know I, we were going to all the games and Blake was there. The offensive change, no, no problem with that. The problem is the players that were on the field had been recruited to run the offensive scheme that just left. And it, there's a time for you to go back and recruit and kind of build the guys for whatever you're trying to do now right. as opposed to just keep the same philosophy. And but you always got to have people who can still do it. You're right. That young guy, those young guys are important right. uh, because you got to have somebody standing by. We'll you, come. We'll come. I'm go ahead. Well, go ahead, Rick. We'll, we'll come back. Break, come back. We'll come back and we'll finish up uh, with Coach Gene Chizik on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right. So let me go ahead and break it to this. And and I don't know whether Chizik uh, has checked this out or not. If he's listening in the break, but I'm just going to be a friend to everybody out there, Bubba. You and I've had to tell people this. The odds are you're paying too much for homeowners insurance and automobile insurance because we don't put a lot of thought into it.
We just want it to be over. Well, who wants to spend time with that, Rick, honestly? Look, you, you're, you're closing on the house. The people say, hey, you got to get your homeowner's insurance, and you know what you do? You go call up Larry. Of course, Larry's he's retired, but now Larry Jr.'s running running the agency. And you go, hey, can you get me some homeowner's insurance? Yeah, we've got this right here. This is what they want. Then you do that with your automobile, insur- automobile insurance. The only problem is you're probably overpaying. And there's a way now, because I don't want to do the hassle of it either, but Gabby.com does the hassle for you. Uh, if you go to Gabby.com right now slash Rick Bubba, G-A-B-I.com slash Rick Bubba, here's what's going to happen. They're going to take some information from you. It takes a few minutes. They'll pull up 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive and Nationwide and Travelers and all the big names. And you'll look at the same coverage you have on your home, the same coverage you have on your automobile. You'll compare. And if the savings are substantial, you switch. And they're averaging saving people $960 a year that, that you've just been throwing away. Uh, but if you look in the insurance coverage you have is the best price, that you feel pretty good about that too. Uh, we love it. So uh, why don't you go to Gabby.com slash Rick Bubba. That's G-A-B-I.com slash Rick Bubba and find out if you're overpaying for your automobile and your car insurance. Back with Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, Gene Chizik is our guest. Coach, we're running out of time, and of course I knew this would happen when we get to talking fun stuff and uh, when we were going to have you as a guest. I think we were talking about Nick Saban. I think one of the most impressive things about him, and there's a lot to be impressed about, is the number of assistant coaches he's had who came in, have been tutored under his system, they go out to be head coaches in other places, and none of them have ever beat him. I think that is somewhat incredible. That really is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's it's really remarkable. And think about it. There is a lot of head coaches. I mean, last year in the league, what was there? Three or three other of his assistants minimum um, that were in the league at the same time. You know, you had Pruitt, you had Will and you had Jimbo. Uh, that's that's pretty amazing. But over the test of time, no one's been able to beat him um, again. But let's be honest. I mean, percentage-wise, who's been able to beat him, period? <laughs> yeah. Right. Forget about them being assistants. <laughs> He'd just play the I odds. Mean, him, period. Uh, you know, so uh, that's you got to put an asterisk next yeah. to that, I mean. Coach, t- you, you've moved into to broadcasting now. Talk a little bit about that and uh, quickly and, and tell us how that is uh, different. How, how Was that what you thought it would be, and how are you enjoying that? I love it, guys. I mean, I, I can't lie. I've had several opportunities to jump back into coaching the last several years and good good opportunities. Um, but I, I love the TV part. I, I love it because it gives me a life. Uh, you know, I do it for four months out of the year, and then my wife and I can travel and hang out together and be semi-retired. Uh, I love every minute of that. Uh, I love who I'm working with. You know, Chris Doring and Dari uh, are the main hosts that I'm with. And I love SEC football. I think the brand of football in the SEC is the best in the country. Am I a homer? Yeah, I am. But am I realistic? Yeah, I think I am. Just look at the national championships, 11 out of the last 15. So I love the league. I love what Greg Sankey does. Uh, I love everything about it. And uh, the broadcasting piece has just been a lot of fun for me. So let's talk about that. You and I had the opportunity. uh, um, You know, We're doing a men's discipleship strategy. You speak a lot all over the country. And, and part of that is where we bring in speakers to challenge the men. Then we put them into uh, equipping, which is small groups. And, and you shared something with a group. Um, I will tell you this. Bubba knows this story, and, and I told you this, but I want, I want this audience to hear this. When, when, when Blake went to play for, for Coach Chiswick, 
it was the very first year that Blake was not at home on the anniversary of his youngest brother's earthly death. Now, we're talking about Blake being an invited walk-on who's going to be red-shirted his first year. We're not talking about Cam Newton or any other star. And I come home on the day, January the 19th, and there's a voice message on, on our home phone. And it is from Coach Chiswick's wife. And, uh, and she is on there saying, hey, just know that Gene and I are looking after Blake today. Uh, we know this day is, is a tough day on him, first time he's been away from home and not had his family. And it was only the second anniversary of our youngest son's earthly death. Know that we're with him today. And on that day, I was sold on Gene Chiswick um, and, uh, and, and his family. And, and now, hearing you the other night, I, I understood about people prioritizing their lives. It doesn't matter if you're a coach or not. If you're a man, um, kind of lay out a little bit how, how, how you were talking to the men about being sure the priorities of life are in order when it comes to your identity. Well, Rick, I do want to tell you this before I, I jump into that. I came home and told that to Jonna. Uh, you, your reminder of that story to Jonna, and uh, she remembers it like it was yesterday, just so you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I feel strongly, guys, about, uh, you know, I look around and, you know, I look at men and lot in their lives and what's important. And, you know, as I said, Sunday night, you know, I said way back when, when I really started to get an understanding of, of, you know, we always ask, you know, what's my purpose and who am I, uh, you know, coaching is what I did, did. It wasn't who I was. And, you know, and if you ask me who I, who I was, like I said, Sunday night, you know, first of all, you know, my faith, and following Christ and being a believer in Christ and, and, you know, just my faith is number one in my life. That's number one in my life because I don't feel like with, I feel like without that, I'm just flailing around, uh, you know, and sometimes, you know, when you backslide and you, and you're not where you need to be spiritually, I can feel it. I mean, I can feel it in my life. Sure. And that's number one with me because I feel like without that, I'm, I'm zero. I'm nothing. I, I have nothing. I am nothing. Uh, and that's where my identity comes first. And then I think the importance of being, you know, a, a great husband and a great father. And I spoke from a place of not standing up there preaching like I've been great at both of those all the time. Sure. It's not even about being great at both of those all the time. It's about recognizing the importance of trying to be great at those things all the time. And, you know, I see so many broken men out there. I see so many broken marriages out there. You know, I was a coach for 30 years. And I mean, why do you think there were so many single parent kids that I was coaching? Because the men, you know, simply put, men are failing in the homes. That's just the way it is. And you know what, guys? It's not because they stink at it. It's because they don't try. And and they they don't, they don't, they're not guided by, the things that, you know, that what, what faith and Christ and things put in you to try to be good at those things. And again, I didn't come from a place beating my chest. Like I'm great at it. I've stunk as a husband and I've stunk as a father, but it's the battle. It's the fight every day of trying to be the best you can be and recognizing that that's important. That's the key. And that's where I try to challenge guys that, what do you think your job is? Like, you know, 
Uh, you just take marriage and you see people quitting and walking out on their marriages. I'd be a liar right now. And my wife would too, if she, we didn't look at each other at some points in our marriage and go, I'm married to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I, what did I do 25 years ago? And, and so that's fine. That's human nature, but it's not fine to just walk out and not fight for, for it. You signed up for that. That's what you chose. Nobody drug you down the aisle, but this day and age, this, Ability to walk away and quit without any effort is I see it all the time. And I just try to fight against it because I think it's Satan's way of division. I just believe that. And then when it comes to the fathers, I, I just I me personally. I mean, I have three children who my wife gave birth to, to that came from me. Right. And me not loving them so wholeheartedly is so beyond my comprehension. I don't understand that, but I, I know that there's scenarios out there where people don't. And I just want to encourage them the importance of being that present figure in your own home. It matters. It matters for their future. It matters for their identity. It matters for their uh, confidence, you know, all those things. And if they don't get it, you're looking at more, um, you know, you're, you're looking at more disasters out there because your kids weren't and didn't get what you needed to provide for them. Because let's remember, you chose to have them. That wasn't by accident. You chose it. So, um, you know, that's kind of my message. But it all starts with being obedient to what God wants me to do and who he wants me to be. Thank you, Coach. Uh, and uh, hopefully, you know, you can take that away. Uh, you, we, we do put our effort in, and we do put energy into everything that we deem of value, and uh, it's important to have those priorities right. Coach Chizik, thanks for being with us. Thank we you, Coach. Appreciate it very much. All too short, guys. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. We'll do it again. And thanks to all of you for being with us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Mm-hmm.